I'm really speaking about all of humanity, you know, without exception of anybody, you know. And I, I know that um, a lot of the content in the songs is very heavy, you know, but uh, see, fantasy is what people want, but reality is what they need. And I've just retired from the fantasy part because I realized that uh, could still be intact but what is the likelihood of that when if you trace the source of each resource they've got they tapped into the veins of the masses the system maintains feeding on their youthfulness and draining from their brains and then the weak ones are rejected armed and turned toward the strife they return with force and take away their life but make no mistake there is life in abundance for all to partake so war is redundant and hate is futile but too many put feeling We all are the same The essence of life in this physical plane So nothing can restrain the love You just have to claim the love Yes, I remember the censorship of showing your roots Deception with no lie conditioning for the youths Straightening their follicles while twisting their minds Replacing all traditions with their programs for decline But as I rebel, my naughty swells defiant of the taming My natural advantage I'm proclaiming These spirals map the course of life and represent the force of life Connected to the source of life So make no mistake There is life in abundance for all to partake So war is redundant and hate is futile But too many put feelings We all are the same The essence of life in this physical plane So nothing can restrain the love you just have to claim it, you just have to claim it, you just have to claim the love. Claim the love. 
Yes, make no mistake, there is life in abundance for all to partake. So war is redundant and hate is futile. But too many put feelings in. We all are the same. The essence of life in this physical plane. Nothing can restrain the law. You just have to claim it. 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 You just have to claim the law. Seeking refuge in the dark, she's a lark from the ark, spitting lyrics from the heart. Honey complected it, brain waves stay connected it. Her meditation skills keep her traveling through the stars. Came from the ether, destination unknown, flown from outer space, where lots of ancient people were grown. Shown the truth since the youth, and the roots showed the proof. Opening pathways like the Father Eshu. Like that boot camp, she a strange wonder. Ascended to the heavens from the land of down under. Trying to figure how to reunite her people now asunder. She devours these alliances to stave off her growing hunger. Her number, the two stands for ever growing wisdom. She is the moon, heed the sun, overstand and make the cycle one. You could catch a politicking on the streets of Mecca. Then she rest in Ile Ife to recharge her bio essence. One is when she broke the earthly terrain Born with two Fulani earrings and a pocket full of change That's where the voice, that's the sound to behold She broke the mold, renewed the old Turned the microphone to solid gold Spoke with the elders before she left the home planet And they told her never disrespect the craft if you can stand it Remember the four facets, they will carry you far Not for you to be a star, but a preserver of art Part human cause the body she inhabits A goddess cause she carry bloodlines of the immortal status Like Gladys, took the midnight train to Georgia Seeking out the ground like old Moorish explorers The forest of knowledge was barren and weeds were taking over She took the seed from her magic bag and planted it a 40 clover A lotus flower grew from mud at the riverbanks The people start rejoicing on their knees giving thanks They asked her name, wonder why she wasn't famous She said my name is Cyrock, you're confused on what my aim is I do this not for recognition, but to change my folks' position This is lesson one or one, so hold your tongue and start to listen You are the lost tribe, wanders from the light Sent to conquer universes, turn the wrongness to right The uncivilized have an envious eye And they plotted your demise based on treachery and lies You lost your culture and the jewels that you came with They learned your alchemy and they used it to make a name with Became the false gods while the real ones suffered The Jews became dull and over time they lost their luster you forgot the mission and got tricked into submission now the elder sent me here to resurrect the beats and rhythms this is your movement and it can never be stopped it's the spirit of our people giving the name of hip-hop
exaltation Joyous, joyful exaltation joyful exaltations and greetings to those who liberate themselves. Welcome to Women Wednesday. I'm your host, Mariama Tanay. Blessings, greetings, and love to all within the listening ear. Tonight's theme is the consequential existential ego, part two. The consequential existential ego. We're going to delve into the rhyme and the reason of it all, the cause and the effect and the ramifications. We're going to start off in the praise up. The thing that hath been, it is that which shall be, and that which is done is that which shall be done, and there is no new thing under the sun. Amen. And so we're going to start off in Matthew 26, 39, and he went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O oh, my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt, as thou wilt, the Most High's will. And Proverbs 22, 4, by humility and the fear of the Lord are riches and honor in life. By humility and the fear of the Lord, those are the riches and the honor and the life. And Luke 18, 18, 19. And a certain ruler asked him, saying, Good master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? None is good, save none, save none. That is God. God is good all the time. All the time, God is good. And Psalm 2, 
Why do the heathen rage? And the people imagine a vain thing. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. Then shall he speak unto them in his wrath and vex them in his sore displeasure. Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree the Lord hath said unto me, Thou art my son. This day have I begotten thee. Ask of me, and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance, and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. Thou shalt seek break from them with a rod of iron. Thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Be wise now, therefore. Be wise now, therefore, O ye kings. Be instructed, ye judges of the earth. Be instructed. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and ye perish from the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all they that put their trust in him. Amen. And First Peter 5, 5. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Ye all of you be subject one to another, and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud, and giveth grace to the humble. And Proverbs sixteen eighteen, Pride goeth before destruction, and a haughty spirit before the fall. A haughty spirit before the fall. Isaiah 11, 2-5 And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and shall make him of quick understanding in the fear of the Lord. And he shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, neither reprove after the hearing of his ears, but with righteousness shall he judge the poor and reprove with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips shall he slay the wicked and righteousness shall be the girdle of his loins and faithfulness the girdle of his reins. In Acts 2.22 Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know. 
you know. And when you know better, you're supposed to do better. And it's time to take out the tools that we were given. And the ego's a tool. And figure out what it is we're supposed to do with it. And what it's used for. Understand? So we can open those doors that were once locked in our mind. As we redefine our inner alchemy. Right? And transform on these people out here. Okay? So we can uplift the gift. We're going to take a music moment and come back with the consequential, existential, ego, part two. Blessings and grace.
Blessings and grace, and I'm back with the consequential, existential ego, part two. Now, the ego, which is experienced as the self or the I, or the I and I, understand, is in contact with the external world through perception. It is said to be the part that remembers, evaluates, plans, and in other ways is responsive to and acts in surrounding physical and social world. According to um, psychoanalytic theory, the ego exists with the id, said to be the agency of where primitive drives come from, and the superego, which is considered to be the ethical component of personality, the moral factor, as one of the three agencies proposed by Sigmund Freud and descriptions of the dynamics of the human mind. Now, the ego um, comprises the executive functions of personality by serving as the integrator of the outer and inner worlds, as well as of the id and the superego. The ego gives continuity. It gives continuity and consistency to behavior by providing a personal point of reference, which relates the events of the past, retained in memory, with um, actions of the present and of the future, represented in anticipation and imagination. And the ego is not coextensive with either the personality or the body, although body concepts form the core of early experiences of self. The ego, once developed, is capable of change throughout life, particularly under the threat of illness and significant changes 
and life circumstances. Now, the purpose of the ego, right? There are some who say that the ego must be cut or annihilated. Remove the I from your life and focus on living a life of service. Life, we are told, is about giving to others. And there can be no room in this world for the concept of putting oneself first, right? Oh, you're being called selfish. And perhaps there is some truth to the concept that we are put here to make this world a better place. And the problem is the belief gets twisted and neglects to recognize the starting point is with the self. You can't give what you don't have. Overstand. It is this myth about service to others that has led us astray. It has been used to perpetuate beliefs that if I think about others before myself, I will be on the right path of goodness. The setback with this belief is the service is usually mixed with guilt, fear, and an ego running on these emotions operates on memories. In order to understand the role of the ego in your life, you must first understand its purpose. The ego is the human consciousness part of you. It was designed to ensure your security and survival. Unfortunately for many of us, it has never relinquished its initial purpose. Instead, for many, the ego became the master scriptwriter, and because of it, everything becomes a drama based on past happenings. Associated with the fight-or-flight section of the brain, the ego began its development the day you entered planet Earth. As a helpless little being, you, you needed the ego. Was there to ensure your continued existence. Some behavior was imprinted into your genetic makeup and was designed to protect the I part of you and make sure that your needs were met. And when your needs and desires were not met, the ego devised patterns of behavior to get what you wanted through trial and error and modeling the behaviors of those around you. You learn which behaviors worked for you. Some of these learned behaviors are ego patterns that are deeply rooted in fear and the underlying belief is that there is a threat to the eye. It is these behaviors that are locked into emotional states of being and are playing out in your life as manipulation, enmity, lying, Tantrums, anger, jealousy, violence, indifference, frustration, hate. Many of these states of being are automatically triggered by an experience which is associated with a distant memory. And the memory may not have anything to do with the situation at hand, but the ego only knows one course of action, protect the eye. As an adult, you experience an event, and regardless of the situation, you unconsciously revert to a past emotional reaction. The constant unconscious movement into these states of being have you reliving the same story over and over and over again. The old programs the ego has developed to get your needs and desires met are stuck to emotional reactions, and in many instances, you don't even realize you're slipping into an old behavior pattern. We have all seen adults who resort to childish behaviors. They have temper tantrums in the office, resort to lying when they've been caught with their hand in the cookie jar. They use guilt and manipulation to get their way. They bully. All of these are ways that individuals who are now adults have learned to get their needs and desires met. Somewhere in their development, the adults around them never taught them to factor love, to factor love 
into the equation. Instead of these habits of response erupt into repeated behavior patterns when the memory of a previous circumstance brings these modes of behavior to the surface. In order to be the creator of your reality, you must factor love into the experience and deal with each moment as new. It is when you do this that you take control of your vibration and move through states of being that you want to experience. Now understand discernment and you can see a familiar spirit, but that's not the same exact spirit. It's just familiar. Overstand. So each thing is still new. Right? So you will also attract to you more harmonious and balanced situations. And that's what we want to attract because we are electromagnified beings. Overstand. You know? And so the purpose of ego um, is an integral part of spirituality. Ego has its use for spirit, right? Our spirit is what is contained, and then our ego is the physical manifestation. Overstand. So ego is the way by which spirit perceives reality from one place and one moment. Ego is how spirit has uniqueness of experience. Ego is also how spirit expresses in a particular way that is unlike any other. The reason for not being attached to ego or your own personal reality is so that you are free to realize your total self as spirit, which is unlimited, unbounded, and capable, and capable of being and doing and having anything. And then you're truly free to live your life with the power of spirit. Without ego, there is no independence of thinking, which means you as an individual would not exist, right? You would not be able to have the experience of a unique personality along with personal memories and choices in this universe. So it would be pointless to do away with the ego since spirit created ego to express and experience itself. The key to spirituality is not to get rid of the ego, but to become not limited by it. Spirituality is about realizing spirit and harmonizing ego with it. Realizing that you are a spirit and harmonizing the ego with it. We become one and all. Spirituality is not about power over anyone. It's about self-empowerment, about power with everyone. The ego of a spiritual person is not a problem. It is an essential part an essential part of the human system created expressly by the creator of all life in order for it to experience self-consciousness from an infinite number of viewpoints. Infinite being is the all-encompassing consciousness from which the universe was created. Everything in the universe is made of consciousness. Each snowflake is unique. So is each person. You cannot cut off a part of yourself. The ego cannot be cast away and forgotten. It is essential sense of identity. Even if someone were successful in casting away a part of themselves, there would come a time when they would have to retrieve that lost part 
and integrate it back into themselves in a healthy, holistic manner. That is why you have you always have reoccurring problems in life until you resolve those parts of you which those situations keep bringing up. Psychological integration is, is, is the wholeness of being. And you are an expression of infinite being as it experiences itself from all possible viewpoints. The best way you can serve yourself and, and, and the Most High, the source within us all, is to live your life to your own personal highest potential and celebrate who you are because there is no one exactly like you in the entire universe. Knowing this truth frees you to embrace your ego completely and allow it to be freely and fully expressed. Right? You have every right to be who you are because you were designed to be that way. Designed. Your primary purpose is to experience life from one individual unique point of view. And to express the Most High's will within that manifestation. To express the Most High's will within that manifestation. So now I'm going to move forward into the Kabbalion, um, specifically chapter 11, which is rhythm, because rhythm plays a big role in the establishment and the um, way that the ego moves and manifests the patterns, the behavioral patterns, right, from the memories. And so with rhythm, the Kabbalion says, everything flows out and in. Everything has its tides. All things rise and fall. The pendulum swing manifests in everything. The measure of the swing to the right is the measure of the swing to the left. Rhythm compensates. The great fifth hermetic principle, the principle of rhythm, embodies the truth that in everything there is manifested a measured motion, a to and from movement, a flow and inflow, a swing forward and backward, a pendulum-like movement, the tide-like ebb and flow of it all, the high tide and low tide between the two poles manifest on the physical, mental, or spiritual planes. The principle of rhythm is closely connected with the principle of polarity. And rhythm manifests between the two poles established by the principle of polarity. This does not mean, however, that the pendulum of rhythm swings to extreme poles. But this rarely happens. In fact, it's difficult to establish the extreme polar opposites in the majority of cases. But the swing is ever toward the first one pole and then the other. There's always an action and reaction, an advance and a retreat, a rising and a sinking, manifested in all of the airs and phenomena of the universe. Suns, worlds, men, animals, plants, minerals, forces, energy, mind and matter, yes, even spirit, manifest this principle. The principle manifests in the creation and destruction of worlds and the rise and fall of nations and in the life history of all things and finally in the mental states of man. In the mental states of man. And so the law of polarity, right, to help with that rhythm is balance, objectivity, neutralization, non-resistance, integrity, transcendence, and compassion. And the key word 
for the law of polarity is purity. The fourth of the seven laws or principles is given the name polarity in the Kabayan, along with the phrase, everything is dual, everything has poles, everything has a pair of opposites, like and unlike are the same, opposites are identical in nature, but different in degree. Extremes meet, all truths are but half-truths, all paradoxes may be reconciled. That's from the Kabayan. And so the conventional approach to the law of polarity is to meet one aspect of illusion with an equal and opposite illusion, right? To meet one aspect of illusion with an equal or opposite, and, excuse me, equal and opposite illusion. That neutralization technique works to a degree, but it requires the energy and effort to calm the tornado with an opposite tornado. In the meantime, your house may be swept up, right? Or you can um, dive right into the center of the cyclone, where there's always calm and neutral stillness, right, in the middle. And as long as we entertain resistance, also known as grievances, upset, finger-pointing, you know, um, then you're off balance. And you're using um, forces to pull yourself out of the heart of the center then. So another technique for using the law of polarity effectively is the principle of non-resistance. And this works wonderfully when we don't resist our inner inspired voice. When we don't resist the voice of the Most High's will. The one that sees through seeming walls and defaults to sharing, communicating, and compassionately removing the blocks to true, commun true communion and communication. Regardless of whether this seems to be with others or different aspects of ourselves, we become superconductors. Charges and biases cannot persist or accumulate because the whole notion of polarity is done away with at the root level. We integrate understandings and become free of imbalances, and we're able to be more objective in our perceptions with nothing demanding our attention. We are free to see things as they are, rather than as biased, polarized perspectives would insist. You know, like the other hermetic laws, we can use the law of polarity wisely or less skillfully, depending on the thought or belief system we reference. You know, the context, the context of our philosophical foundation determines everything. A kindly, loving self sees the drama of life unfolding from a kindly, loving perspective and interprets things accordingly with a gentle and compassionate inner smile. An a, a inner smile. An angry, fearful self-concept filters the same unfolding events through a distorted lens of polarization, judgment, attachments, aversions, and veils. The truth and lessons to be gleaned go unnoticed. They go unnoticed from the latter perspective. From the thought-belief system of duality, the law of polarity shows up endless stream of sensory struggles and batters vying for our attention. Perhaps we might say for our distraction, the ego separation, the way, the way that this paradigm you know, invokes a notion of division and fragmentation, splitting apart, 
and has a bias toward looking for trouble because that is the nature of the ego and this mixed up world. Choosing how we interpret the world, what the world seems to convey, makes all the difference in the world and more importantly in the realm of cause beyond the world. Right? If we identify ourselves as separate droplets isolated from the proverbial ocean of life, the polarities of life appear as an unsensing barrage of conflicts and compromises and half-hearted choices and regrets. And we always feel torn between two opposing forces, regardless of the forms that they may appear to take. And when we experience wholeness and stand in wholeness, that wholeness connects us with the source of all true abundance, right, the Most High, and optimally influences whatever situation or circumstances we happen to be in. The real gift is in the freeing our, ourselves from the bondage of limiting self-concepts by waking up from the dreams of, of um, scarcity and all the things that are untrue. A key technique for practicing this serene presence is to remember that all experiences are gifts for us to appreciate from the vantage point of our immortal being. And laughter is a great medicine. And when we remember to see humor in our seeming human predicaments, it dissolves the emotional and mental hallucinations that bind us to those situations. Okay? You have to let go of that binding. And so according to the Kabbalion, to change your mood or mental state, change your vibration. Change your vibration. One may change his mental vibration by an effort of will in the direction of deliberately fixing the attention upon a more desirable state. Will directs the attention, and attention changes the vibration. Cultivate the art of attention by means of the will, and you have solved the secret of the mastery of moods and mental states. To destroy an undesirable rate of mental vibration, put into operation the principle of polarity, and concentrate upon the opposite pole to that which you desire to suppress. Kill out the undesirable by changing its polarity. This is one of the most important of the hermetic formulas. It's based upon true scientific principles. That by mental, transmu mental transmutation, the polarity might be reversed. This principle is known to modern psychologists who apply it to the breaking up of undesirable habits by, by, by making their students concentrate on the opposite quality. If you are possessed of fear, do not waste time trying to kill out fear, but instead cultivate the quality of courage and the fear will disappear. Overstand. So to kill out a negative quality, concentrate on the positive pole of the same quality and the vibrations will gradually change from negative to positive until finally you will become polarized on the positive pole instead of the negative pole. And the reverse is also true. Many have found out, to their sorrow, that when they've allowed themselves to vibrate too constantly on the negative pole of things, by changing your polarity, you master your moods. 
you change your mental states, you remake your disposition and build up character. Much of the mental mastery of the advanced hermetics is due to this application of polarity, which is one of the most important aspects of mental transmutation. Um, another quote from the Kabayan is, Mind, as well as metals and elements, may be transmuted from state to state, degree to degree, condition to condition, pole to pole, vibration to vibration. The mastery of polarization is the mastery of the fundamental principles of mental transmutation or mental alchemy. For unless one acquires the art of changing his own polarity, he'll be unable to affect his environment. An understanding of this principle will enable one to change his own polarity, as well as that of others. And if he will but devote the time, care and study and practice necessary to master the art, the principle is true, but the results obtained depend on the persistent patience and the practice of the student. And rhythm may be neutralized by the application of the art of polarization. Overstand. So let your ego do the bidding that you set forth within a state of now and newness and take the discernment and the wisdom of the moments as reference right to expose the difference okay and then you can clearly define with the ability to 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 now refine your current situation right with wisdom and mastery as opposed to being subjected to a memory-driven ego. Understand? The consequential existential ego. We're going to take a music moment and come back with the go and gnosis. Blessings and grace. Now, basically, now, but, but see, the thing is, what exactly is considered being egotistical? Because they always tell you don't be egotistical, right. but then the same people they say are egotistical is the same people that's the greatest at their shit, at their craft, at what they do. So they still right. say, egotistical, you got to be humble. Then you see a boxer like Floyd Mayweather. They call him egotistical. He's the best at what he do. A person like Kobe Bryant or Michael Jordan or Tiger Woods or just whatever it is that person does, these people are what society would deem egotistical. They're telling us don't act, behave this way. But, uh, 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 but these people are extremely successful at what they do. So am I going to right. follow that or I'm going to follow what society is telling me what to do? Because they, they, they seem like they got a formula. So is that egotistical or we don't understand or is that confidence? Well, and, well, let, let's, 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 let's explain this. Is the fact is that they were able to utilize their brain. Um, what they was able to do was concentrate and visualize and imagine who they wanted to be what they wanted to see into the future and the goal in which that they wanted to achieve. And they was able to focus on that for hours and hours and hours and hours out of the day. In other words, that was the forethought. That was the thought that they focused on the most out of any and everything else that was going on in life was to achieve that goal. So is that the ego of course, ego give you the ability to have ambition and desire. But 
that resurrects also not just from the genitalia, but more so from the heart chakra. <clears throat> the heart chakra is what exhibits what is called the desire body. So you was able to bring that energy from the root, that ego, but then transform it into desire. So that lust, all that energy that they're at the genitalia, at the sexual um, center, is able to be channeled up to the heart to transform into the desire and then ultimately transformed into a mental power in which they was able to achieve what they wanted in life. You know, so yes, the ego is used in order to achieve what you want. And that's the proper way of using the ego. Now, just to sit around and, you know, just use the ego without any goal, or without any focus or concentration, you know, and just, you know, speaking on things just because you um, think that you have some knowledge of it or whatever the case is, then um, that is the improper way of utilizing the ego. If you're going to utilize the ego, make sure that it accomplishes a goal for you in which that the world can wonder about, um, just like you said, with a Kobe Bryant or Michael Jordan or whoever, Mike Tyson or, or Floyd Mayweather or whoever. Um, let it let 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 it lead a, lead a legacy here on the planet for you. All right. So yes, that's that's the proper way of utilizing the ego. Is the ego bad? No, not in a way in which I just stated, um, in which that helps you leave a historical legacy behind. But um, if you're just going to use it, you know, just to be better than someone else, you know, um, egotistically in that sense, then that's not the proper way of using it. If you're going to achieve it, make sure that you're going to do it because it's something that you really want um, out of everything else in which that you've been focused on. of a dance revolution, the sons and daughters of off-balanced walks and distorted body rhythms, we are a footstep generation, a generation that defeated journeys of oppression through acrobatic expression when the tongues of freedom had conversations with the body languages of Angolan regional, so how you like me now, cause we, we are the soul clapping for the souls that are still dancing, that refuse to forget us, that let us relive history through dance floor circles, circulating the cycle of life. We were the light at the other end of Harriet's tunnel, the forefathers of seven moons before moonwalking got jacked, son, before electric boogaloo gave you the shock, son, before the sons of war marched in rhythms of foot patrol towards the sun and shook the earth before rocks could be steady. We were the 
sons and daughters who were ready, ready to conquer a nation of magnetic injustices through this movement. Cause every time our bodies moved, it meant we were gonna do something, prove something can change through the rhythms of our past. Rhythms of saoko, rumba, salsa, matanza, fania, bachata, jazz, tapping, chanting, clapping, afro drumming, jazz, bebop, hip hop to up rock and pop and lock and it don't stop. So come on, jazz and we, we are the sons and daughters of a dance revolution revolving over lost shadows of freedom and we shall overcome someday but until that day we pray for the slaves that sleep we are a nation dancing under the spirits of moonlight and gather like the mayans who broke bread to break beats like we kids back in 88 did a nation that came to beat street from the avenues of defeat break dancing through the impossible to eat the fruits of labor never tasted so sweet we had buddhist monks challenge the egyptians to b-boy battles and had gandhi tagging up graffiti in the bathroom walls of the club where he left messages to the dancers and the djs to tell the people that you may be black you may be white you may be jew or gentile but it never made a difference in our house because our house has connected across nations in 360 degree ciphers where quote yo let me get up in that circle son so i can sweat out the stress for the week in the name of kingdoms to come i am the son of sun moving in parallel rhythms to the drum expanding pores into time portals so every time i sweat you can see the reflection of my ancestors on my bare skin you and i can win this battle against capitalist oppression all we gotta do is just move to the music groove to this music feel this music in your bone marrow with cupid's arrow stuck in your hip bone now fall in love with us and mention us in your prayers at night we were dancing religiously in hopes to take flight in the mouth of heaven and in the process we swallowed our own pride while bouncers checked our ids we checked our egos without the ease so that we can just go because ten dollars at the door was never gonna stop us from hitting the dance floor whether you was black white jew or gentile it never made a difference in our house and this is what makes it fresh
Blessings and grace, and I'm back with the Go and Gnosis, your news infused with consciousness. I'm going to start off tonight with a very interesting article I found on scientificamerican.com in the section called Observations. Why are white men stockpiling guns? Why are white men stockpiling guns? Research suggests it's largely because they're anxious about their ability to protect their families, insecure about their place in the job market, and beset by racial fears. Since the 2008 election of President Obama, the number of firearms manufactured in the United States has tripled, while imports have doubled. This doesn't mean more households have guns than ever before. That percentage has stayed fairly steady for decades. Rather, more guns are being stockpiled. They're being stockpiled by a small number of individuals. 3% of the population now owns half of the country's firearms. 3% owns half of this country's firearms, says a recent definitive study from the Injury Control Research Center at Harvard University. So who is buying all these guns and why? In short, the broad answer for the first part of the question is men, who on average possess almost twice the number of guns as female owners do, but not all men. Some groups of men are much more avid gun consumers than others. The American citizen most likely To own a gun is a white male, but not just any white guy. According to a growing number of scientific studies, the kind of man who stocks piles weapons or applies for a concealed carry license meets a very specific profile. These are men who are anxious about their ability to protect their families, insecure about their job and their place in the job market, and beset by racial fears. They tend to be less educated. For the most part, they don't appear to be religious at all, and some suggest by one study that th- that um, faith seems to reduce their attachment to guns. So if they had, you know, the most high in their life, they would reduce the attachment to this material thing that caused death. In fact, stockpiling guns seems to be a symptom of a much deeper crisis in meaning and purpose in their lives. Taken together, these studies describe a population that is struggling to find a new story, one in which they are once again the heroes in their own mind. I don't remember them ever being heroes, but that's um, what this article states. And so, but Stroud also discovered another motivation racial anxiety. A lot of people talked about how important Obama was to get um, a concealed carry license. He's for free health care. He's for welfare. They're asking whatever happened to hard work. Obama's presidency, they feared, would empower minorities to threaten their property and their family. Can you imagine they believe that Obama being president would empower minorities to threaten the white man's property and his family. And so for many conservative men, the gun feels like a force for order in a chaotic world, suggests a study published in December of last year. In a series of three experiments, Stephen Shepard and Aaron C.K. asked hundreds of liberals and conservatives to imagine holding a handgun and found that conservatives felt less risk and great personal control than their liberal counterparts. And that wasn't about fa- about familiarity with real-world guns. Gun ownership and experience did not affect the results. Instead, conservative attachment to guns was based entirely on ideology and emotion. 
And so they said that we found that white men who have experienced economic setbacks or worry about their economic future are the group of owners most attached to their guns, says Froes. Those with high attachment felt that having a gun made them a better and more respected member of their communities. That is so wild when you think about that, that this external implement that's used for death made them feel that they were a better and more respected member of their communities. This is a very extensive article, and it goes in depth for those that are interested. It's blogs.scientificamerican.com, blogs.scientificamerican.com, and the article is called, Why Are White Men Stockpiling Guns? It's a really good and interesting read. And on the issue of guns on sandjarose.com, rapper Killer Mike unimpressed with the gun control march on Washington, states, you're not woke, you're going to progress us into slavery. Rapper Killer Mike is unimpressed with the Parkland High School Survivors March for Our Lives progressive push for gun control. In an interview with NRA TV's Colin Noir, Killer Mike warned that gun control will progress us into slavery. Killer Mike spoke on the left-wing push for gun control by putting children and student activists at the forefront of their progressive agenda. They are going to progress us into slavery, said Killer Mike, who referred to the Second Amendment's right to bear arms, which protects the U.S. citizen from the government. The Atlanta-based rapper and business owner called the student activists lackeys of the progressive movement. You can't continue to be the lackey, he said. You're a lackey of the, of the progressive movement because you have never disagreed with the people who tell you what to do. You know, Killer Mike explained that he warned his own children about getting involved in the gun control debate that led up to the March 14th school walkout. Killer Mike said he told his children, I love you, but if you walk out that school, walk out of my house. His words conflicted with Keisha Lance Bottom, the African-American mayor of Atlanta, who angered some Atlanta parents by issuing a declaration praising the students for their acts of civil disobedience. Mayor Bottom also raised eyebrows when she appointed Killer Mike and his fellow rapper T.I. Harris to her transition team. Noir referred to T.I.'s prior legal issues with guns, saying T.I. felt pressure into doing an anti-gun promo. Celebrities often don't know what to do. They're told what to do, Killer Mike said. After a fatal shooting on his daughter's college campus um, at Savannah State University, Killer Mike said, I talked to my wife and daughter after that. The decision was we're going to go to Savannah. She's going to get a gun and train more. We're raising a generation of children where everyone gets a trophy, but in real life, everyone doesn't get a trophy, Killer Mike said. In real life, the cops don't come on time. In related news, friend of the friend um, Omar White expounded on the Democrats' efforts to pass gun laws restricting gun ownership to people who are diagnosed with mental health issues. Slim noted that the gun law would keep guns out of the hands of millions of young black men and women who are diagnosed with ADHD as children, and that's how they're going to disarm the black community, he said. Most Americans were unimpressed by the children and student activists marching for gun control in cities around the country on Saturday. The March for Our Lives rallies in Washington, D.C. and Los Angeles were attended by prominent celebrities some of whom were paid travel and hotel expenses for the Parkland school shooting survivors who organized the march. And so he poses a very, you know, um, good observation on, you know, once you start restricting the right 
of a person to bear arms, which was intentional to protect us from the government. Understand the intention and um, what is um, being done or trying to be done to the Constitution of the United States of America. So be awake and aware on all fronts and um, don't be a sheep. And I want to say um, uh, rest in power to Winnie Medicazila Mandela. Winnie Medicazila Mandela, anti-apartheid campaigner and ex-wife of Nelson Mandela, has died at the age of 81. Winnie Medicazila Mandela, commonly known as Winnie Mandela, was a South African anti-apartheid activist and politician. She held several government positions, including as Deputy Minister of Arts, Culture, Science, and Technology. Madagazila Mandela was known to many in South Africa as the mother of the nation and had been ill for a number of years and was most recently admitted to the hospital for a kidney infection. Her personal assistant, Zoadwa Zwain, confirmed that Madagazila Mandela's death on Monday afternoon. Her family issued the following statement. It was. It is with profound sadness that we inform the public that Mrs. Winnie Madagazila Mandela passed away at the Nectar Miller Park Hospital, Johannesburg, South Africa, on Monday, April 2nd, 2018. She died after a long illness for which she had been in and out of the hospital since the start of the year. She succumbed peacefully in the early hours of Monday afternoon, surrounded by her family and loved ones. Blessings and grace to the strength that she um, you know, showed and reflected through her admirable work in keeping the faith and moving forward to end apartheid in South Africa. And um, on Bloomberg.com, comedian and producer Byron Allen, who is African-American, acquired the Weather Channel TV network as he looks to expand his film and TV production company into a major media business. Byron Allen's Entertainment Studios, Inc. bought the network from Blackstone Group, Bain Capital, and Comcast Corp. According to a statement Thursday, the price was approximately $300 million. According to a, to a person familiar with the terms who wasn't authorized to speak publicly and asked to not be identified, that's a fraction of what the larger company sold for a decade ago. The deal includes the famous cable TV network, but not online assets such as website weather.com and related mobile apps which were acquired by the International Business Machines Corp in January of 2016. In an interview on the day in which rain and snow blanketed much of the U.S., Allen said he was attracted to the reach and the, famili and the familiarity of the brand. Snowstorms, rain, mudslides, our lives and our family's safety depend upon this info, Allen said. When a big storm happens, it's the Super Bowl of weather, as many as 30 million people watch. Allen's company produces and syndicates TV shows and has released films such as last year's thriller, 47 Meters Down. It also owns Comedy.tv and Cars.tv, which are distributed online and through pay TV providers. Allen said he wants to invest more in the Weather Channel, expanding both its international and local distribution. It's part of a broader strategy to invest in what he said would be billions of dollars in the media and entertainment industry. The Comcast Blackstone Bain-led group had purchased the Weather Channel in 2008 for about $3.5 billion. 
a spokesman for Blackstone declined to comment. So he really did get it for a fraction of the price at $300 million, but that's when preparation meets opportunity. And so now he has success. And moving forward on QCostaRica.com, QCostaRica.com, Epsi Campbell is the first Afro-descendant president of Costa Rica, a black woman. The election of Carlos Alvarado to the presidency of Costa Rica will also mark another milestone in the country's political history. Epsi Alejandra Campbell Barr, one of the founders of the Partido Acción Ciudadana PAC, will be the first person of African descent to become the country's first vice president on May 8th. Congratulations to the first Afro-descendant vice president of Costa Rica, Epsi Campbell. It would not be the first only in Costa Rica, but in Latin America. She is making history in Latin America. And eventually, if the president leaves the country, I would be the first woman of African descent to assume the presidency in the entire American continent. It's a big responsibility, Campbell said Sunday in an interview with chhoy.com. Campbell joins a short list of women in places of privilege in Costa Rica politics, including Thelma Curlin, who was the first Afro-Costa Rican legislator from 1982 to 1986, and Victoria Garon, the first vice president in 1986 to 1990, and Laura Chinchilla from 2010 to 2014, the first president. It will be a responsibility to not only represent people of African descent, but to represent all women and men in the country, a country that gives us all the same opportunities at EPSI. Campbell is named after her paternal grandmother, who migrated from Jamaica to Costa Rica, Caribbean coast with her husband, Epsi Bar Campbell, who was born in San Jose. Her parents, Shirley Bar Arid and Louis Campbell Patterson, were living in San Francisco dos Reyes. She is the fourth child of a family of five daughters and two sons. She married at a young age and became a mother when she was just starting her university studies. She has two daughters. Epsi Campbell has been the head of the Center for Women of African Descent and the Alliance of Leaders of African Descent in Latin America and the Caribbean and the Black Parliament of the Americas. After serving in the, in the legislature for four years from 2002 to 2006 and running for vice president in 2006, Campbell decided to seek the nomination of the PAC. She traveled the country in an RV taking her anti-corruption and accountability message to PAC voters. And she was blessed and um, able to win the vice presidency, the first Afro-descendant vice president of Costa Rica, Epsi Candle. Blessings and grace to her. And moving forward, on theroot.com, Denmark has its first public monument honoring a black woman, recalls a fierce rebel. I am Queen Mary, Denmark's first public monument honoring a black woman, was unveiled March 31, 2018. Denmark just got its first public monument to a black woman, and what a phenomenal woman she was. On Saturday, two artists revealed a 23-foot statue inspired by Mary Thomas, a Caribbean woman who led, who led a fiery 19th century revolt 
against Danish colonial rule. Seated in a wicker throne, the statue stares somnolently ahead, her head crowned in a head wrap, her feet bare, and a torch in her left hand, a tool used to cut sugarcane in her right. As the New York Times reports, Thomas was one of the three queens, female leaders who led the 1878 Fireburn uprising in St. Croix. The rebellion has been called the largest labor revolt in Danish colonial history. The Times write that by the time Fireburn finished, 50 plantations and most of Frederiksted St. Croix had been destroyed by fire. Fireburn. Not surprisingly, the statue called I Am Queen Mary was built by two black female artists, Jeanette Elliers of Denmark and Lavon Bell of the Virgin Islands. In a statement, the artist noted that the torch and the West Indian cane bill, the sugarcane cutting tool that Mary holds, symbolizes resistance strategies of the enslaved and former slaves who lived and toiled in the Danish colonies. The artist also confirmed that the throne of pitch Mary Sitz recalls the iconic 1967 photograph of Huey P. Newton, founder of the Black Panther Party. Queen Mary, its creators say, isn't just about the first monument to a black woman in Denmark, but the first to memorialize the country's colonial impact in the Caribbean and pay tribute to those who bravely fought against it. On the official I Am Queen Mary site, a description of the statue indicates that the monument aims to challenge Denmark's role in slavery and the commemoration of its colonial past. Its unveiling was timed to coincide with the end of the 100th anniversary of Denmark selling the Virgin Islands to the U.S. in the March of 1917. Even more notable, Elliers says the sculpture wasn't commissioned. Its fruition is the result, she says, of two artists pushing into the public space. The statue represents the bridge between the Caribbean and Denmark, said Bell. It's a hybrid of our bodies, nations, and, narrative, and narratives. It extends the conversation beyond the continental year and gets people to really question what is their relationship to this history. As for the real-life Mary Thomas, she and the other queens, Queen Agnes and Queen Matilda, um, were tried for their part in the Fireburn Rebellion and sent to Copenhagen to complete their sentences. The statue dedicated to Mary now sits in the front of a former warehouse for Caribbean sugar and rum, little more than a mile from where the women were jailed. As Henrik Holm, senior research curator at Denmark's National Gallery of Art, said in a statement, it takes a statue like this to make forgetting less easy. It takes a monument like this to fight against the silence, neglect, repression, and hatred. Holm noted that never before had a statue like this existed on Danish soil. Now Denmark is offered a sculpture that addresses the past, but is also on an artwork for the future. Blessings and grace to Denmark and for Queen Mary and the other queens that, that um, had fire burn and fought back against Danish colonial rule. In Yeshua's name and all these years later, their statue will be there to represent. And moving forward in Sacramento on USA Today, um, maybe ones would be aware that Stefan Clark was shot and killed. Um, he was shot 20 times in the back in his grandmother's backyard in Sacramento. And because they thought he had a, that he had a gun, and in actuality it was his cell phone. And so there has been large protests 
all throughout Sacramento in reference to um, this killing. This killing. And so the Sacramento County Sheriff um, Department <clears throat> has been getting involved and saying that he blames the violence in the city on professional protesters. That's what the county sheriff is saying. Um, he that the protesters and professional instigators for causing trouble during the Saturday night vigil in which a deputy, a deputy sheriff struck a protester with his car and drove off. A deputy sheriff from the Sacramento County struck a protester with his patrol car and drove off. Sheriff Scott Jones on Monday cited as evidence undisclosed investigative work the fact that his deputies often see the same people protesting different causes and that sometimes people from outside the area join in protests. The incident was the latest in a string of confrontations between Sacramento area law enforcement and residents of California's capital city upset by what they consider to be heavy-handed policing, especially in minority communities. Unfortunately, in many protests that have developed to this scope, there are professional protesters and professional instigators that infiltrate the protests for their own purposes, as well as participation from out of the region that inflame and antagonize the event, Jones said at a press conference. The results oftentimes are actions that cause undue scrutiny on the protesters' causes, their methods, message, action, and law enforcement. That is what happened here. Not the fact that his deputy struck a protester hit a protester with his vehicle, and drove off. Saturday night, a largely peaceful vigil of about 150 people devolved when some of the group surrounded and began hitting and kicking two sheriff cars. Both cars drove off as they were surrounded, and one of them struck a protester. The protests were part of an ongoing community reaction to the March 18th killing of unarmed black man Stephen Clark by Sacramento police officers. The woman hit by the sheriff's car is a former school paraeducator and a frequent attendee at local government meetings in, um, that the Sacramento Bee re reported. The First Amendment enshrines the right of Americans to peaceably assemble and contains no restrictions on who is allowed to participate. Jones said his deputies want to respect that right, but will continue to intervene when property damage or bodily harm is, in, is imminent. That right is well established, but it's not absolute, he said. I'm just still stuck on this, this deputy felt it was okay to knock to to knock a woman down with his car and then to drive off does it make any sense you know they had the report that stated i think it was back in 2006 it was an FBI report that stated that the KKK the Ku Klux Klan and the white supremacist organizations had infiltrated the nation's police force and so we wonder why these killings keep happening at the hands of the police force. Because the white supremacists are using this force to further their agenda. And in the same scope um, of things, TheRoot.com also reported on the fact that there's a secret government document called the Race Paper. 
the race paper, and it's probably being used to monitor black activists. When civil rights groups force the government to release information on how federal law enforcement agencies monitor the scary collective of black boogeyman activists classified as black identity extremists, the groups noticed a repeated reference to one specific document. Although it's top secret, the government has confirmed its existence. We know it's nine pages long. We even know the name of the document, yet no one knows what it says, who wrote it, or what's it about. It's called the race paper. The race paper. In 2016, two civil rights groups, the Color of Change and the Center for, Con for Constitutional Rights, along with the Kramer Law Center, filed a Freedom of Information Act request for documents concerning the FBI surveillance of groups related to Black Lives Matter. In response, the government received, released a trove of documents, including emails, reports, and memos showing that the FBI and the Department of Homeland Security had been tracking the activities of people involved with Black Lives Matter since Ferguson, Missouri uprising, even issuing memos on the non-existent danger the non-existent danger of black supremacists to local and state authorities. The documents revealed how federal agents shaped the narrative to create a new class of terrorists called black identity extremists. The FBI talked about the history of violent incidents. The Department of Homeland Security sent a memo to officers across the country warning about black day of rage that never happened. And one bulletin even mentioned that the black activists pose a threat to lawfully organized white supremacist events. The black activists posed a threat to the lawfully organized white supremacist events. Included in the files obtained by COR and CCR were several emails between employees of the Department of Homeland Security's Office of Intelligence Analysis and several of those email chains all discussing the investigations of black organizations. The officials mentioned something called the race paper. The correspondence contained attachments with drafts of the document asking for feedback, suggesting on structure and in-person meetings. To be fair, the DHS actually included the mysterious race paper and the documents received by Color of Change and the Center for Constitutional Rights, but the copy was redacted. I'm sure you're thinking, but they have to leave out names and identities, which is true, but the Department of Homeland Security redacted every single word. There are no dates, no names, not even punctuation. DHS essentially sent the civil rights group nine pages of black paper. If you were wondering how many black identity extremists have been captured since the federal government began monitoring these dangerous Negro radicals, the answer lies in the case of Christopher Daniels, who may believe who many believe was the first and only person to be arrested using the FBI's black identity extremist mandate. Known as Rakim Balagoon, Daniels was arrested in December 2017 when federal agents stormed his home. According to foreign policy, the Fed seized two firearms and a book, Negroes with Guns. In Daniels' detention hearing, FBI Special Agent Aaron Kainley said Daniel came across the FBI radar when they noticed him in the coverage of police brutality protest on the conspiracy website InfoWars. And so um, at the Austin, Texas rally, he was noticed, monitored, and tracked. And so black communities know all too well how poisonous this kind of surveillance and intimidation 
is for social justice movement, said Rashad Robinson, the executive director of Color of Change. Robinson added that during the civil rights era, agents with the FBI's COINTELPRO program vigorously sought to discredit and destroy black leaders and movements while they did nothing to address the injustices our communities were protesting. We can't allow the FBI to essentially operationalize COINTELPRO for the 21st century without a fight. Up until recently, we've known very little about the government's surveillance of our communities, but by enforcing the disclosure of more information about these surveillance efforts, including our demand today for the full and unredacted race paper, we can better understand these attacks on black activism and fight to prevent a new generation of black activists from de from demonization, incarceration, intimidation, and punishment. So what exactly is the race paper? Here's the author's hypothesis. Maybe it's a compilation of surveillance that will be used to black male leaders in the movement for the Black Lives Matter, like the FBI's effort to, um, to discredit Martin Luther King Jr. and leave the Negroes without a national leader of sufficiently compelling personality to steer them in the proper direction. Perhaps it's a 21st century version of COINTELPRO's goal to prevent the rise of a black messiah. That's actually in the paperwork to prevent the rise of a black messiah. It might simply be the FBI's bragging about how they continue to sow discord as they did when they bragged about their efforts to destroy the Black Panther Party with shootings, beatings, and a high degree of unrest. While these may sound like conspiracy theories, they are all verifiable documents from FBI correspondents. This is what they do. Whatever the race paper reveals, you can be sure it won't be anything new. We're going to take a music moment and come back with technology. Blessings and grace. Wallet. 
daughter just witnessed this. The police just shot him for no apparent reason.
Neutrality repeal. How will IT networks be impacted? With net neutrality in the midst of upheaval, there are significant changes afoot for both businesses and consumers in terms of internet access and control. New rules are expected to create differing service categories, allowing ISPs to prioritize access and bandwidth for certain customers. This would undoubtedly create confusion in the market, leaving IT executives to make adjustments based on any new restrictions. To be ready, IT leaders will be well served to keep the following in mind. Number one, threat factor number one, internet fast lanes with potentially higher prices. The post-neutrality reality is this. The door is now open for ISPs to create internet fast lanes, charging customers and businesses alike for premium service. Larger ISPs are likely to tag all internet traffic, and other access will be prioritized based on those tags. ISPs will have the right to give priority to those paying higher prices for faster service. That means business leveraging broadband internet for network connectivity today could experience performance decreases as they are shifted into the slow lane and be forced to pay more to get back on their previous service levels. Threat factor number two, Gartner predicts major internet outages. Beyond the repeal of net neutrality, there's another danger to consider. And as December 2017 predicts 2018, Enterprise Network Infrastructure and Services Report, Gartner said, as enterprises increasingly rely on the Internet for WAN connectivity, they are challenged by unpredictable nature of Internet services. In addition, the firm reported that within the next five years, there will be a major Internet outage that impacted that will be impacting more than 100 million users for longer than 24 hours. Given the new potential for Internet fast lanes and the vulnerability of public Internet access, networks that are relying predominantly on public Internet connectivity are the most at risk. And brace for impact. 
Over-the-top IT networks are most at risk. Companies are increasingly leveraging broadband internet for WAN connectivity at certain locations where it makes the most sense for their business. This an increasing trend as more applications move to public clouds and SAAS providers and also given the advent of SD-WAN. But a broadband over-the-top approach may make networks more susceptible to performance issues in a not-so-neutral environment. With ISPs giving priority to premium customers, customers Companies that don't pay could be sacrificing productivity, customer experience, and losing their competitive edge. As such, IT leaders will benefit from reevaluating their networking strategy now and risk and then adjust accordingly. Clearly, those with dedicated private networks will avoid these challenges altogether. But today, most organizations, IT networks are hybrid, meaning they can contain a mix of private and public connectivity and different networking technologies. This is advantageous by balancing price and performance by location, as well as providing peace of mind in a post-neutrality world with the ability to easily adjust course if post-neutrality performance issues arise. So the recommendations here are to firstly reevaluate your network connectivity, knowing that ISPs may have the power to manipulate internet traffic, um, and by combining private and public access at any given location for cost efficiencies and resiliency, two goals that can be um, accomplished, private access to high-priority locations, headquarters and data centers, and cost-effective public connectivity to remote employees. These two connectivity types work seamlessly together while still maintaining consistent performance in a post-net neutrality world. Second, de-risk net neutrality with network flexibility. Net neutrality has spawned lawsuits, protests, and online uproar. When faced with so much uncertainty, an agile network is key. It will be more important than ever to analyze business needs and determine the most effective connectivity based on the data types and your usage. So if you have a business that relies upon the internet, it's time to reevaluate how that's all going to work through together. And moving forward on to Adweek, tech companies, including Foursquare and Etsy, are suing the FCC over net neutrality. They're filing on behalf of the Coalition for Internet Openness. Several major tech companies are filing suit against the Federal Communications Commission over the agency's plan to repeal net neutrality. Today, Foursquare, Etsy, Shuttershock, Kickstarter, and others plan to file a petition with the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals over the FCC's plan to roll back on the Obama-era ruling that prevents telecom from throttling the Internet for various uses. The suit is being filed on behalf of the companies that are part of the Coalition for Internet Openness, which is an organization committed to preserving the openness, speed, and accessibility of the Internet for all Americans. The millions of entrepreneurs, creators, brands, and businesses that these companies represent rely on free and open Internet to inform, support, and express themselves and to bring their ideals to the world. The company said in a prepared statement, today's petition will make sure that their voices and the voices of everyone who looks to the internet for innovation, information, and creativity are heard in the fight to protect net neutrality. So again, that's um, Foursquare, Etsy, Shutterstock, Kickstarter is um, at the forefront of this along with a lot of other companies. So that's great that they are fighting it um, as they have the money to enlist the counsel needed to fight that good fight. 
And on thedailydot.com, Democrats slam the FCC plan to scale back low-income Internet programs. Several prominent Democratic senators have pushed back against a plan proposed by the Federal Communications Commission that they say would cut Internet access to lower-income Americans. The FCC's plan would eliminate some Internet providers from the agency's Lifeline program, which helps lower-income Americans use a small subsidy to buy Internet service. Lawmakers say that the program serves 12 million Americans, including 6.5 million who access the Internet through it, and the FCC plan would cut services for approximately 70 percent. 70 percent of them. The Senate Democrats pushed back against the plan in a letter to FCC Chairman Ajit Pai. The Lifeline program is essential for millions of Americans who rely on subsidized internet access to find jobs, schedule doctor's appointments, complete their school assignments, interface with the government, and remain connected in a digital economy, they wrote. The program helps Americans, including disproportionate numbers of families with children, veterans, and people of color, survive. The Lifeline program was established in 1985. The FCC voted 3-2 to two late last year to scale it back by proposing a spending cap that could prevent people who qualify for the subsidies from getting them and preventing some resellers from offering subsidized plans, according to Ars Technica. So the senators who signed the letter is Senator Camilla Harris of California, Senator Jeff Merkley of Oregon, Senator Bernie Sanders of Vermont, Senator Edward Markey of Massachusetts, Senator Ron Wyden of Oregon, and Senator Richard Blumenthal of Connecticut, Senator Elizabeth Warren of Massachusetts, Senator Dick Durbin of Illinois, and Senator Cory Booker of New Jersey. So blessings and strength on them, you know, stopping um, them from eliminating access to 70% of lower-income Americans through the Lifeline program to access the Internet. And moving forward, you don't need to sign your credit card receipt anymore. You don't have to sign your credit card receipt. According to BGR, um, most of the slightly surprising news that came out on April 1st is unsurprisingly fake. But one change went into effect yesterday that is real. You probably don't have to sign your credit card receipts anymore. Starting April 1st, the big four credit card companies, Visa, American Express, MasterCard, and Discover, don't require a signature from merchants when customers pay with a credit card. There are a few restrictions, and some shops and restaurants may still ask for your signature, but hopefully this is the beginning of the end for America's dumbest, authentication system. American Express, MasterCard, and Discover are, are doing away with signatures for every merchant in North America, and American Express is killing signatures worldwide. Visa is a little more limited, as it will still require a signature if you swipe your card rather than using a chip. The majority of the stores now have chip-enabled readers. However, so using the magnetic strip should be a thing of the past in the very near future. Visa is also doing away with the requirement for merchants to collect a customer signature. Stores can still get you to sign on the dotted line if they wish, and judging by the speed at which the corporate accounting departments move, it could be a little while until you see the difference. So this change is being facilitated by the switch to chips rather than magnetic strips. The 
the chips are much more secure and difficult to clone, and combined with algorithmic security detection by the card companies, it's helping reduce credit card fraud to impressive lows, despite data breaches being at an all-time high. So chip cards aren't flawless, however. There is still potential for skimmers to read your chip and get information to an attacker. Mobile payments, which use one-time codes rather than fixed credit card number, are the safest and fastest way to pay still. Mobile payments, which use one-time codes rather than fixed credit card number, are the safest and fastest way to pay still. And on the next web, TNW, Microsoft bans offensive language on Xbox and Skype. An update to Microsoft Services Agreement to roll out on May 1st, penalizes offensive language across Microsoft products, including Xbox and Skype. It raises a few questions about what the company considers offensive and how deeply into your communications they can delve in order to investigate. Originally spotted by law student Jonathan Corbett, the changes to the service agreement seem to focus on Xbox Live specifically. In the Code of Conduct section, we've clarified that use of offensive language and fraudulent activity is prohibited. We've also clarified that the violation of the Code of Conduct through Xbox services may result in suspensions or bans from participation in Xbox services, including forfeiture of licenses, Xbox Gold membership time, and Microsoft account balances associated with the account. That seems to be reasonable at first. Slurs and shocking language is sadly as endemic to Xbox Live as it is to every other gaming service. But when Corbett visited the Code of Conduct section, he found the language to say this. Don't publicly display or use the services to share inappropriate content or material involving, for example, nudity, bestiality, pornography, offensive language, graphic violence, or criminal activity. The services encompassed all of Microsoft's products, including Word, Microsoft Word, and Skype. So in theory, Microsoft can penalize users who use offensive language in shared Word documents or on Skype calls. That's a little concerning, particularly since the term offensive language sounds vague. What are Microsoft's standards for offensive language? And when it comes to enforcement, CSO Online pointed out that Microsoft is allowed to delve into your content. When investigating alleged violations of these terms, Microsoft reserves the right to review your content in order to resolve the issues. However, we cannot monitor the entire services and make no attempt to do so. Microsoft asserts that it's not watching calls or listening in on anything, but that it responds to reports made by users with clear evidence. A spokesperson told TechCrunch, the recent changes in the Microsoft Service Agreement Code of Conduct provides transparency on how we respond to customers' reports of, inappropriate, of inappropriate public content. Mike Ybarra, director of Xbox Program Management, said on Twitter that there was no policy change, which I assume means that this is something that Microsoft was already doing. So offensive language while you're playing those um, violent video games <laughs> is no longer allowed. And you can't curse somebody out on Skype um, because they will um, totally shut down your Microsoft account. And you have to be careful now what you're typing in Microsoft Word. If the words in Microsoft Word are offensive, 
that may also be charged against your account. Just some information for ones to know. We're going to take a music moment and come back with Herbnology. Blessings and grace. Nowhere in this tree I find Someone's got to leave them behind Yeah, you get turned over yeah. Babylon, say you get turned over Why I worry, watch I see Like them no realize Don't see Babylon got them hypnotized
Cause what you fear the most might just be what you're hoping for Open your heart, your mind and your soul To a new dimension Greatness is what you're worth No holding back, you've got so much to share Give to the world Stand up, let your color show No holding back, you've got so much to share Give to the world Stand up, let your color show Go 
blessings and grace, and I'm back with Herbnology, and these are 10 healing plants which were used by the Native Americans to treat anything from joint pain to cancer for centuries. The Native American tribe known as the Cherokee was a tribe who has believed that nature gave them the gift to preserve and to understand herbs and therefore believed in the power of nature can help in the healing process. For instance, they gathered every third plant in order to preserve the specimen and therefore keep the plant safe and preserve it. Unbelievable as it may sound now in the 21st century, this makes a lot of sense, especially if we want to preserve some plants from extinction. The Cherokee tribe was using the benefits of nature, but at the same time they cared for the nature and cherished their gift in understanding these herbs. Here's a list of 10 medicinal herbs which the Cherokee tribe used for healing. The first one is mint. Mint is a powerful herb which has both healing and antioxidant properties, so you may consider implementing mint in your everyday diet. Mint is rich in vitamin A and C, as well as phosphorus, potassium, magnesium, fiber, and calcium. Our ancestors used this herb to improve their digestive health lower blood pressure, and they also found mint to be extremely beneficial for the skin, healing from itchy skin to making cold compresses for injuries. And for breastfeeding mothers, mint will help you relieve the pain from cracked nipples, and they also soothe you. It may seem that mint is more than just a regular herb. And cattail. You can take full advantage of this plant, except if you leave out the seed heads or the mature leaves. Its miraculous influence on the human body is what made the Cherokee tribe use it as a prevention against various conditions, including indigestion, rashes, and sores on the skin, as well as burns and blisters. The flower of this plant is also beneficial and useful for the skin in particular, as well as they promote the digestive health. The male plants are rich in pollen, and the roots is rich in starch. The pollen in particular is a great source of protein. And blackberry. The incredible nutritive plant was well known since the Cherokee time, and that is mainly due to the fact that blackberry is rich in various vitamins and minerals, including B6, vitamins A, K, and E. It's also a great source of folate, riboflavin, and niacin, Blackberries were also famous because of the various mineral presence as well, such as iron, calcium, magnesium, phosphorus, zinc, potassium. The Cherokee people use blackberries for indigestion, and ever since blackberries are notoriously famous for easing indigestion, this property is because of the presence of an essential amino acid and dietary fiber. The root of the blackberry also has healing properties, including reducing the pain and swelling in the joints, and it also works as a cough syrup. And wild rose. rose. Wild rose is mainly used to fight colds, flus, and sore throat, and this is due to the presence of vitamin C, which we all know that's an immune system booster. The fruit of the wild rose can be used as tea and is extremely beneficial for the bladder and kidney. The root is convenient for problems with stomach such as diarrhea. And greenbrier. The root and the leaves of the stem of this herb were well known for its healing properties and the Cherokee people used it in many situations including to fight urinary, urinary infections, to ease indigestion, and the leaves and bark to soothe burns on the skin. From green buyer berries, they also made delicious jam, and the root is loaded with starch. And buckbrush. 
which is also known as hummingbird blossom, buck brush. Even today, the hummingbird blossom was proven to have healing properties on the human body. However, the Cherokee people were the first to use it and recognize its positive effects on the human body. Hummingbird blossom is known to reduce blood pressure as well as to promote kidney health. It's also beneficial for for menstrual bleeding, treating cysts, and problems with the throat and mouth. You can use the tea made of its leaves and flowers and drink it just like the Cherokee did. And yarrow, also known as squirrel tail. This amazing herb is on the list for a reason. Not only is it useful for any kind of injuries and skin problems, but it can also be used to promote digestion and kidney health. This herb's juice can ease internal bleeding, and its leaves can do wonder for open wounds and injuries. You can also find remedies in the herb for skin problems, such as acne and other skin-related problems, including inflammation and irritation. And yellow dock. Yellow dock, if you're looking for a replacement for spinach, this herb will exceed all expectations because its nutrient value is much higher than one of spinach. This herb is a great source of iron and numerous vitamins and minerals. It would use as a cooking ingredient, and because of its anti-inflammatory properties, it can be used for relieving rashes, itching, and sores. It's also a promoter of good digestive health. It has antiseptic properties. And wild ginger, also known as big stretch. Wild ginger. Wild ginger was well known among our ancestors and it's mainly because of the positive impact that wild ginger has on the on the digestive system. It promotes digestion and it's also used for various conditions such as colic, intestinal gas, and improper digestion. The tea from wild ginger can have soothing properties and it can also be used to remove the secretion from the lungs. And sumac. Sumac kwaluga. You can take full advantage of this miraculous herb starting from its bark berries to its leaves. Sumac is well known for its medicinal use that can vary from solving digestive problems to fighting colds and flu due to the vitamin C presence and helping to lower cholesterol levels. The leaves are extremely beneficial for rashes such as poison ivy so don't hesitate to add sumac to your daily diet and forget about health problems. Our ancestors believed in the power of nature and its healing properties. The Cherokee tribe was well acquainted with the process of gathering the herbs and in its later usage of the same herbs. And so again, that's sumac, wild ginger, yellow dock, yarrow, buckbrush, greenbrier, wild rose, blackberry, cattail, and mint. Hopefully there's a healing there for someone. And your shoe is damn. We're going to take a music moment and come back with the metaphysics of the moment. Blessings and grace.
up that metaphysical grave that had been dug for you, the part of you, the spark that lays buried. That is what's going to open you up. That's what's going to give you the ability to escape, escape your metaphysical mind. Blessings and grace. And I'm back with the metaphysics of the moment. I'm going to start off tonight with the metaphysical meaning of Tyree. Now, Tyree is um, from Jeremiah 25, 22, Tyrus. It's Greek. It means compressed, pressed together, strength, rock, 
refuge, shelter, stone, pebble, stone knife, cutting, carving, forming, and fashioning. A city on the eastern coast of the Mediterranean Sea, near the northwestern border of Palestine, and Joel 3.4, and Matthew 15.21. Tyree, the compressed rock, strength, shelter, cutting, carving, and Sidon, liar in wait, catcher of fish, hunter, trapper, beast of prey, fishery, refer to the realm of sensation and man's consciousness. So Tyre is the compressed rock, the strength, the shelter, the cutting and the carving, and Sidon is the liar in wait, catching a fish, hunter and trapper. And this refers to the realm of sensation in man's consciousness. It's with its numberless thoughts and tendencies, this realm must be consciously entered and spiritualized by the Christ. It has to heretofore been illumined by spirit and has been considered too material to be worthy of spiritualization. The king of Tyre, Ezekiel 28.12, is the personal ego. The personal ego. The ruling power in the sense man. In connection with him, the precious stones, Ezekiel 28.13, evidently refer to the spiritual man. The picture of Tyree given by Ezekiel shows it to be sense consciousness puffed up with pride and self-sufficiency. The prophet describes the overthrow of the sinful consciousness, at the same time giving a most remarkable declaration of the innate perfection of man. Thus saith the Lord Jehovah, Thou sealest up the sum full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Ezekiel 28, 12-17 The cities referred in Matthew eleven twenty to 24 are symbols of fixed states of thought in the individual. Fixed states of thought in the individual. Tyre and Sidon represent the state of mind that makes no excuse for wrongdoing. None. But when brought to judgment under the law, is willing to admit its error and repent. Willing to admit the error and repent. And the metaphysical meaning of Harad. Harad is Greek for sprung from a hero, son of a hero, hero born, heroic. The family name of several Roman rulers of Judea, Matthew 2.1 and Mark 6.14. So metaphysically, the ruling will of the physical, the ego in the sense consciousness, this ruling ego is temporal because it does not understand man's true origin or the law of man's being. It is narrow, jealous, destructive. Under its rule, man does not fulfill the law of his being and another ego must supplant the ego of sense. It would seem that we, knowing the wonderful glory that comes to a man when he develops his spiritual nature, should be earnestly seeking the inner illumination, that we should be willing to give up everything else to attain it, but it is not so. For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, wrote Paul, 
in Galatians 5.17, the man who lives in his appetites, in his passions, in his flesh, does not want anything but the flesh consciousness. When this is in the ascendancy, he seeks the things of the world. He says, if I have plenty of money in the bank, I can get along all right. You can take your religion. I know nothing about the hereafter. I know nothing about another world. But I do know that if I have plenty of money, I can get about anything I want. That is Herod. He is the ruler in the world mind. And if we do not watch him, he will slay the Christ child. We must be on our guard against its subtle sense mind and take tender care of the little innocent new idea that has been born deep in the heart. We must not give it over to the keeping of Herod. We must nurture it, care for it, and hide it away. If necessary, we should take it down to Egypt, darkness, when Herod seeks to kill it. Yeshua said, What I say unto you, I say unto all. Watch. Watch what? Watch for this destroying thought. Watch for this destroying thought, which is satisfied with the old, which is trying to carry the old conditions, the old world, and even flesh and blood into the kingdom of God. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. A new man is necessary. A new man, a new body, a new mind. Be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Renew the mind and the body will follow as the day follows night. Herod, since consciousness, rules on the plane of mortality. If allowed full reign, he kills out the, out the repentant and the redemptive state of mind. Represented by John the Baptist, which is beginning its ministry of change and purification in soul and body. The object of the Bible lesson about Herod and his killing of John the Baptist is to show the various steps leading up to the tragedy of sense dominion. In regeneration, there was a quickening of the whole man. The life flow is especially increased and every function connected with it is stimulated. This is represented in the lesson as Herod at a feast at which he was evidently intoxicated. People who are naturally egotistical and domineering develop these qualities in a larger degree under the impulse of the new life current. Unless the meek and lowly frame of mind recommended by Yeshua is adopted, such people lose their heads and go further into their rash egotism than they have anticipated. If you are haughty, domineering, self-sufficient will, you stand as Herod. You stand as Herod, domineering, self-sufficient will, the ruler in Judea. You are married to the passions of the human soul, Herodias. She leads you into sense gratification so deep, so degrading, that you cut off the head of John, the conscious, that would have turned you into the highway of the good. The reign of the sense man is short-lived, however. Your kingdom is taken away from you, and you are banished from your native land. 
This was the fate of Herod after he beheaded John the Baptist. This is the fate of everyone who refuses to listen to the voice of his or her higher self. You have to listen to the voice of the higher self and let it guide you and reign in that ego and tame it. You don't have to neutralize it, adjust it, reframe it, refine it, and define it. And move through life using your tools and the universal laws that command and control the universe, overstand. The ancient wisdom is ancient wisdom. Only a fool would cover his eyes and his ears and bury his head in the sand, especially in times like these. Let the soul lead. Let the soul lead in Yeshua's name. Blessings and grace.
Blessings and grace. I'd like to thank you again for joining me for another offering of Woman Wednesday. I'd like to give love to the frequency that accompanied me the music. That was just Jackie Queen's Glow, Sun Ra, Godspell, St. Germain, Real Blues, Queen Omega, Judgment, Zoetha, Beautiful Adventure, Michelle Rivera, Breaking These Chains, Rima, Hypnotize, Georgia Ann Muldrow, Dimensions, Etzia, Ja Will Provide, Remix, Kendrick Scott, Philando, Bodhisattva, Featuring Yuba, The Depth of Source, Afifi Iku, Featuring Ovius Maximus, Mirror Dance, Dr. Alim El Bey, Ego, Chevelle Franklin, Magnify His Name, the Barrett Sisters, The Storm Is Passing Over, Iman Europe, The Devil Be Trying Me, The Whitefield Brothers featuring Bajaka Earthology, Sarak, Exhibit She, and John Nine Legitimate. Blessings, grace, and strength to all.